Our Bible reading this morning, as you can see behind me, is uh, John 17. John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have full measure, the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, 
because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, through the, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Congregation of Jesus Christ, we are looking at this uh, prayer of Jesus, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Over the last number of months, uh, in the second service, in the evening service, we've been looking at great prayers of the Bible. We looked at the prayer of Abraham, and the prayer of David, and the prayer of Solomon, and we are ending that series by looking at the, the greatest uh, Prayer, this prayer of Jesus, his high priestly prayer this morning. As we do so, you can tell just all of the amazing things that, that are touched on in this prayer. Jesus draws together aspects of eternal life, verses 2 and 3. He speaks about the joy that we have in him, verse 13 and to reflect on that, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. What is that exactly? How can we be fully joy-filled Christians? He talks about being sanctified, verses 17 and 18 and 19, that sense of of our working out our faith to, to live and walk humbly before our God. And so his prayer for us there, And especially this morning, uh, we have to focus in a little bit because there's so much here. And so our focus this morning is on that that real focus of the prayer, where it moves to, where it it really comes to its its central point, the unity, the unity of, of faith, our unity in Christ. And so... That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. The text uh, beginning at verse 11, where Jesus says in his prayer at the end of verse 11, uh, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And then the verses uh, 21 and 22 and 23, where each time he says, just uh, that all of them may be one. And verse 22, uh, that they may be one as we are one. And verse 23, uh, that they may be brought to complete or perfect unity. So this is a central focus of the prayer. Being united in faith, is one of the key things as well with the sacrament. That's why we have this message today with the sacrament, which we plan to have today. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament that highlights our unity in Christ. And in in churches, different denominations, you will find in all of them a celebration of the Lord's Supper. 
The Lord's Supper is part of what it means to, to come together in Christ. It's very simple, really. It, it's just uh, a taking of bread, uh, ordinary bread, though you can get a variety of breads in different celebrations. Some churches have a wafer. Some churches you pick up a big loaf and you break it and you tear off a chunk. So there is some variety there. But the one, the one message, this is the body of Christ. Also with the wine. There are churches don't have wine. They just have juice. And, and so you get some different things there. But the simple act of some bread, some, some juice, some wine, recognizing, taking on the significance of Jesus' body, Jesus' blood, the central truth of our hope and faith and forgiveness. In his death, we are forgiven. Jesus' intent in the sacrament was to unify his followers. And that's what's being spoken of here in John 17, that they would be one. And so part of why Jesus instituted the supper, this prayer is what he actually offers at the end of his time in the upper room. Uh, and at the end of chapter 18, uh, then he's arrested and then taken to the cross. So this is very close together. He has celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples. And in his prayer, he mentions how that unity should continue to work out. Regarding the Lord's Supper, do you know what actually happened with this, this great gift Jesus gave to the church? Jesus gave the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to the church to be a sign of grace and unity. But very sadly, it has actually become one of the most divisive things in churches and between churches. The Lord's Supper, the very thing that's supposed to draw us together, has become one of the most divisive people refusing to agree in relation to this sacrament. I'll give you just two examples. One example is from history, from the Reformation, the time of the Reformation, Calvin and Luther and, and the other reformers. And as they stepped out of the Church of Rome because of many things that were going wrong, they worked after the initial split to come back together. Not sure if you realize that, but there was tremendous effort between the protesters, Martin Luther, Calvin, those who had stepped out of the church, started the Protestant church. There was in them and in the Church of Rome a desire, this isn't good. We need to be united. We need to work this out. We need to figure out how we can go forward together. And so they met and talked and discussed everything, and they made adjustments here and there. But when it came to the understanding of the Lord's Supper, they could not agree. They could not agree. And if you look in the Heidelberg Catechism, our confession from that time, and if you look at question and answer 80, it speaks about the Lord's Supper. 
and it says what the Reformed faith believes, and then it says very strongly that the Church of Rome, their celebration of this supper is a condemnable idolatry. And that's the strongest language that they could have used. There's no way that we can come together because we see the Lord's Supper differently. And then that actually trickled down. Uh, Calvin and Luther were working with another reformer, John Zwingli, and they came together just to talk about now what do we do kind of as, as a church, as we have, have stepped out from the Church of Rome. And they discussed things and everything was good until they came to the Lord's Supper. And then there's a story where they were sitting around a table, a wooden table, and they'd been meeting there and talking about, because Wingley was from Switzerland, and, and yeah, Luther from Germany, and, and they were both reformers, they were both talking about what needed to be done, what could, what should be done, and Luther was part of it, and, and at a certain point, they agreed on a lot of things, a lot of things, and then Luther ripped the tablecloth off the table at a certain point, and he had carved into the wood of the table the Lord's Supper. And he hammered on that and said, we can't agree. We disagree. We can't be church together. We have to go our separate ways. The Lord's Supper became a divisive point. And so... Yeah, what is that? The modern example I want to share with you is from uh, a number of years ago, I joined a Promise Keepers conference. Pastors from all kinds of churches from North America came together, and we had a, a conference for pastors. Promise Keepers was uh, in an effort to, to be united, that we would be united as Christians, as evangelical, Bible-believing Christians. And so... So they called a conference together, and, and 50,000 pastors came, men and women from all kinds of churches. And we were in a, a stadium in Atlanta, and, and it, was, it was tremendous. The singing was great. Everybody singing the new songs, the old songs, beautiful. There were, it was in Atlanta, so they had some black pastors come and lead us in the word and preach. Whoa, that was beautiful. That was just tremendous. And so everyone was, was listening to the word. We had times of prayer where, where throughout the whole stadium, it was completely quiet. Everyone was joined in silent prayer for God's grace, for his church, for witness to Christ, that, that we would be able to, to be that witness here in North America. And so the, the conference went along just splendid. There was even a point where a white pastor came forward and invited a number of black pastors forward and he washed their feet because the white church had been, yeah, not Christian toward the black church. And so powerful, was beautiful, coming together in Christ, in faith, till Sunday morning. And Sunday morning we had our final worship time and the Lord's Supper was included. And as the service went, songs, prayers, preaching, everything was fine until the Lord's Supper. 
And then, then as they were just, they did a little bit too of preparation, uh, thinking about, reflecting on the supper. And then all of a sudden, people came running forward. People, pastors out of the audience, came rushing the stage. And we were all wondering, well, what, what exactly is going on? And some of them jumped up the stage, grabbed a microphone, and said to uh, be careful, be careful here. We don't want to eat and drink judgment to ourselves. We, we don't agree in terms of what's actually taking place. And so be careful and don't participate. And the whole thing, there was a big crowd of people at the front. People were trying to just, what, what's all going on? And after a while, it all settled down. And those, those pastors went back. And, and the sacrament went forward with very clear instruction. If you feel you cannot participate, that's fine. And so then it went ahead. But many did not participate. Why? Because, because we see the sacrament a little differently. And then everything falls apart. So that, that reality is very much tied to the Lord's Supper. Somehow that has become a very divisive point. And we could talk about that and study that. The, one of the other things I did want to mention in relation to that, we have our summer service. We have our, our service in the park, our Lacombe Day service, uh, where we come together as churches. And every once in a while, uh, someone will say, should we have the Lord's Supper there? And the answer is always no. We can't. We cannot have the Lord's Supper. We can sing, we can pray, we can preach, we can do all kinds of things. But we cannot have the Lord's Supper there. And so that has been, as we partake, the Lord's Supper is supposed to be a unifying, unifying thing. And yet, sadly, it has not been that. Jesus prays for unity. And he begins that, and the, the, the sense of it here is, is to begin with prayer. And so, Unity begins with prayer, and that's a very key insight from this passage, first of all. We know Jesus prayed, and in the Gospels it mentions it often. We might wonder, on the one hand, if Jesus is God, why does he need to pray at all? He's, he's praying to himself, but the sense here is, is of God the Father and the Son, two distinct persons of the Trinity, and, and the sense of prayer between them is a, a unity, a closeness, a drawing together. And so the prayer of Jesus expresses his closeness, his oneness, his unity with the Father. And that's a central aspect of prayer. Prayer draws us close. So when we pray to God, we draw closer. We draw closer to him 
in prayer. We have that sense of oneness, the sense of unity, speaking, listening to God. Jesus here is at prayer in John 17, and, and his prayer highlights that central truth. It's, it's his praying and, and his feeling so very close to the Father. So that's, that's a, a central direction for us too, to come together in prayer. Prayer is how the Father and the Son also come together. So even as we begin to look at, at this prayer, to see that great truth, prayer unites us and God, us and Jesus, and it also unites us together as church. And so, so just some examples of that. When, when we pray together, say, as husband and wife, it brings us close. Just the other day, uh, my uncle uh, is turning 80, and he is deciding to write his memoirs. And so he's writing the story of his life story, and that includes then, then my, my family too. My parents were in there once in a while. And he's just at the point, he sent me the latest update the other day, and he's just followed his life story to the point where he meets his, uh, his dear wife, Aunt Susan. So, and then he writes how their relationship grew to a point, and then they prayed. They began to pray together. And when they began to pray together, their relationship moved to the next level. Then there was a real closeness of spirit of, to God and to one another. So we know about that, that sense of praying for each other, asking each other, how can I pray for you, opens our hearts to one another and also to our Heavenly Father. Maybe you've had it too. When you pray for your children, then you feel closer to them and they feel closer to you. And if you have young children or grandchildren and they, in their simple way, pray for you, wow, that's to receive that, to have them just lead in a little prayer and they say, Lord, be with grandpa and grandma. And, and then you think, wow, thank you, Lord. And so that, that reality of prayer, we know it draws us close. In Bible studies, even in church meetings, uh, praying together unites us. And so Jesus' prayer is also that. And here in John 17, he is praying for us. He is drawing near to us, and he is drawing us close to him. And so to read this prayer and to understand that he is praying for us draws us close. Just to summarize the prayer, Jesus is praying, first of all, in verses 1 to 5, giving glory to God, his closeness to the Father. It's like the Lord's Prayer, where we, we say, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so he is in prayer, drawing close to God. That's what we do in prayer. Then in, in verses 9 to 19, what he's really saying among various things is, is the sense of the disciples as they prayerfully uh, lift up the name of Jesus 
are, are drawn and, and enter more fully into the ministry, the message, the truth of who Jesus is, they, they will become one with him and bring glory to Jesus. So there's a, a sense of, of oneness coming together, focusing on the one message of salvation in Jesus. And then he states it specifically in our text. How do we give glory to God? How do we really give glory to the Lord Jesus, our Savior? By being one in our unity. A unity as it is between the Father and the Son, so a prayerful unity worked out in us. This is Jesus' prayer. So verse 21, that all of them may be one. Verse 22, that they may be one as we are one, reflecting the oneness of God. And verse 23, that they might be brought to complete or perfect unity. That's the basic prayer. And that that prayer then goes, and verse 20 where, where it starts says, that'll be a witness to the whole world. And verse 21, specifically, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So the unity lifts up the glory of God. Gives evidence of the one hope we have. The one Savior we have. Jesus' prayer is that we would be a united voice that we would bring a united effort, that the love we have for one another gives glory to God and praise to Jesus. So that's clearly the message of the prayer. So the question arises, how are we doing? And the answer is not so good. The reality of our disunity has brought shame instead of glory very often and that reality has hindered our witness as we're supposed to be a witness but there's there's all this disunity really we don't take Jesus prayer very seriously though we have so much in common here Ephesians 4 verses 4 to 6, where, where Paul, the apostle, is, is informing and reminding the church as it's going through some struggles that we, we are one body, we have one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. He goes on and on. We need to be united. And yet, if you, if you take that word one, and if you if you take it out of the context of Jesus and his prayer and you put it in the context of my life or your life or, or, and then our thinking gets switched around and we start to think there's one thing, there's one thing that I don't like. And because of that one thing that I don't like, I'm out of here. Does that sound familiar? That's our thinking. We're not thinking of the oneness of Christ and the witness and our mission to him. We are thinking of the one thing that I don't prefer. 
and that becomes everything. So the one, the sense of one, gets shifted. And so often in the Lord's Supper too, I'm not going to go through the differences that there are, but it's with different uh, groups, there's just one thing that they see a little different. And that's everything. And then we're stuck. Or you have, yeah, with baptism. Is it adult or infant? Do you baptize adults or infants? And if you do the one and not the other, we cannot be together. Or if there's one thing about the day we worship, on the Sunday or the Saturday, and if you don't get that one thing right, we can't be together. So you see how the one switches. Jesus says that they may be one. And we have taken it and fed two. We will honor God by holding to one thing that makes us better than everybody else, more pure. And Jesus is praying, no, you need to, you need to be one in me. So that's the reality of, of the struggle that continues to be there. The witness gets lost. And I've heard it, I'm sure you've heard it, where you invite people and you tell them about our church and, and they, they say too, oh, what, what's your church? And then you have to explain all the differences instead of really speaking about Christ. And even here in, in Lacombe, there are four Reformed churches. There's the Protestant Reformed, the Free Reformed, the United Reformed, and the Christian Reformed. Could we have a worship service together? I don't think so. Could we have the Lord's Supper together? Not at all. These realities continue to break down the message that Christ is our one hope. And so we need to be humbly aware of that again as we listen to Jesus' prayer. There is that reality in us, in our way of looking at things, and even, even beyond. The, the, the numbers vary, but at this point, in the Protestant church in North America, there are close to 20,000. 20,000 different denominations in the Lutherans and the Baptists and everybody. It's not just us. Everybody. And so this is not what Jesus had in mind. Thankfully, Jesus in grace keeps praying for and working with his church. It's good to read John 17 because it reminds us that this prayer that Jesus prayed is a prayer he continues to pray despite our weaknesses. And so we have hope. We have hope not in ourselves, but we have hope in him. And our hope is not without significant progress. So, for example, in Lacombe, we have a ministerial association. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Every month, on the first Thursday of the month, so this Thursday, this very Thursday, we will meet again. And the ministers from all different churches come together. Usually a dozen, 14, 16 
And we come together at 10 o'clock on Thursday morning, and we agree that we're going to meet from 10 to 12, and we take turns going to different churches, and we take turns leading. And do you know what we do? We come together at 10, and for the first hour, the first full hour, we pray. That's all we do. Come together, and you've got the Baptist and the Seventh-day Adventist, and you've got the Pentecostal, and we just sit together, and we go around and say, how are things with you? How are things in your life? How are things with your faith? How are things in your church? And we listen to each other, and then we go around and we pray for each other for an hour, and it's beautiful. It's very, very nice. Because we want to together lift up the name of Jesus in this city. We want to together glorify God. That's in the end what we want to do. And so we come together. Pastor from the United Reformed Church. Pastor from the Free Reformed Church. Faithfully there. Because we pray. We pray together. And it's good. That's also led into the mayor's prayer breakfast. We can do that. We can come together and we can pray for the mayor and the town. And it's good. And we can all be there. And everything is fine. In our gatherings, when contentious things do come up, we do recognize that there are things we do not agree on. And we have to leave those aside. Because we can't work all that through. But we can pray together, which is a beautiful thing. Another thing, in the Christian Reformed Church itself, there's an example where uh, our denomination, the Christian Reformed Church, actually uh, stepped away from the Reformed Church in America about 160 years ago. Then our denomination began separately. Part of the reason why, one main reason why, was the Psalter Hymnal. There was a sense in the, in the Christian Reformed Church, we only sing psalms. That's all we sing. The psalms are in the Bible. The psalms are the songs we sing. And the Reformed Church in America wanted to add some hymns, some other songs. And so, couldn't be done. Some felt this was okay, others felt it wasn't, and so they went their separate ways. It's interesting that now, through, through just a sense too, we, we need to, uh, there's, there's so much more that unites us than divides us. So we have actually come together over the last dozen years. And we are actually in, in close fellowship. And one of the funny things, the Lord has a sense of humor. We have published a hymn book together. We have the same hymn book as they do. And they're at the back too. If you want a copy, you can look at it. The red hymn book, the new red hymn book, Lift Up Your Hearts, is a combined effort between the two. And we plan to keep going together as much as we can. So... To be a witness together continues to be God's call on our life wherever we can, as much as we can, focusing not on what divides us, 
but on Jesus who prays that we would come together in him, that we would seek more unity, that we would recognize how much we have in common and take opportunities to bring that witness. I think it's nice that uh, with the youth, as Wayne mentioned, uh, with YC, we are doing that together with Wolf Creek. Excellent. So we try to do that. In Vacation Bible School, too, we hope to uh, do that together with the Wolf Creek Church. Very nice. We need to make it our prayer as our own church and as a witness together in this community to show the grace and love and forgiveness of God and to offer our thanks and praise and to glorify him to make it our prayer again this morning. Let's pray together. And I'll use the words of Psalm 133 to begin. Just a brief prayer. Psalm 133. Let's join in prayer. Gracious God, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word that continues to speak into our lives. And we thank you for the hope that we have as we put our trust in you and that you continue to work unity among us as a church itself and as churches together. Lord, we look to you in grace, in love, in mercy. For we hear your word from Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And we want to see that goodness. And we want to recognize how it says there that it's like the precious oil poured out on the head on the beard of Aaron, flowing down his robes. For there the Lord bestows his blessing. And Lord, we want your blessing, because without it we are lost. Lord, we ask that you would work in us again. Forgive us when we are weak and when we fail. Help us to see you, Lord Jesus, as our central hope and the truth that you alone bring. Let us work in love and unity, so that our witness will be clear and true, pointing to you, Lord Jesus, as the one Savior in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to respond by singing a song of unity, Bind Us Together. 